I'm Michelle, certified personal trainer and certified nutrition coach. And I'm Marissa, and I'm a certified nutrition coach and group fitness instructor. And this is the Strong and Simple Podcast. We're tackling the latest fads, trends, and hot topics in the nutrition, wellness, and fitness industries using science and conversation to bust myths and give you the information you need to navigate the bullshit. Tune in for your twice a week truth bombs every Tuesday and Friday. We, Michelle Farrell and Marissa Zabo of the Strong and Simple Podcast, reside on Pawtucket land. We acknowledge the land and the Pawtucket people, as well as the land and the people of the many Native nations of whom the land belongs. To respect and honor them and their land, as well as to be mindful of the harm colonialism has and continues to do on the Indigenous people of the United States and the world. This land acknowledgement is our commitment to support Indigenous peoples and their voices in the struggle against systemic oppression and for human rights, as well as to push against the cancelling and erasure of their history, their stories, their culture, and their present. We encourage you to visit native-land.ca to discover whose land you are residing on, as well as ways to support Indigenous folks. All right. Hello and welcome back to the Strong and Simple Podcast. This is Marissa hanging out with my wonderful co-host, Michelle. Hello, everybody. Um, so for this week's episode, um, you know, there were there was some big news this week. This is the week that the Supreme Court officially overturned Roe v. Wade, and there have been a lot of conversations about body autonomy and you know, things related in, in that ilk. And um, how are you processing things, Michelle? How are you doing? Oh, well, I mean, I'm not surprised. I feel like some people are really surprised by this decision. Yeah. Um, but we've been talking about this for a long time. And the fact that it was never actually solidified into law, despite yeah. several of our past presidents saying and promising that that was going to be one of the first things that they were going to do Mm. um, has also led us to be in this position. So um, the Democrat versus Republican shit, like the Democrats are not, I'm going to get political here, are not, their hands are not clean in this either. So they let us down. They absolutely made false promises and were it not for their inaction, we probably wouldn't be in this situation either. Yeah. Um, And the fact that I believe the last numbers, and of course I have not done any like thorough research into statistics, Hmm. but I'm pretty sure it's like 75% of the country is pro-choice. So the fact that there is literally a quarter or less of the country that's like, yeah, this is a great idea and I'm down for this Mm -hmm. makes it even more bullshit that it is not even a majority opinion. And it's um, an opinion that's largely based on um, falsehoods and mistruth spreading about what actually happens um, during an abortion and um, when abortions happen. And it's a lot of fear mongering from the religious right. And it's really gross. Yeah, Um, exactly. 
Yeah, it is religion interfering where it doesn't belong. And like, I mean, being honest here, religion has been the source of quite a few evils in the course of human history. And yeah, mistruths, lies. And I mean, this is about misogyny. It's about racism and it's about control. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that kind of leads us into our conversation for today a lot because, you know, as fitness and nutrition professionals or really anybody in like the health and wellness sector, we have a nasty history that we need to reckon with, you know, like a lot of fields, this field is rooted in robbing others of their bodily autonomy. It is rooted in eugenics and racism and misogyny. And I think that you, you have to recognize that if you want to be in this field and actively do no harm and actively work to prevent additional harm from, from happening. So for this conversation today, we want to talk about bodily autonomy in relation to health, fitness, nutrition, that kind of thing. And just kind of dig into it a little bit, maybe touch on history a little bit, but also just kind of have a conversation here and, you know, as you're, as you're listening, hopefully, you know, you're, you're nodding along, hopefully this will answer some questions for you. And, you know, definitely also hoping that this leads to a greater conversation as well today. So, I mean, to start with bodily autonomy, like what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. It is the right to have governance over, over your own body to be able to do what feels good for your body and to make informed choices, informed consent um, with what is happening with your body. And if we think about the histories of science, of health, um, and how many um, experiments that were done in the name of science and probably still being done in the name of science um, used black bodies as their, you know, their experiment piece, you know, because they weren't seeing them as humans. And um, most of modern gynecology is based on experiments that were done on black women uh, without their consent, um, giving them no bodily autonomy. And that's from these experiments, not only do we have like the modern age, quote unquote, of gynecology, but also where a lot of the negative stereotypes that continue to perpetuate and harm black women, um, like them not feeling pain, um, which is bullshit. Um, but they come from these experiments that were done on them without their consent, um, because they were robbed of their bodily autonomy. Yeah. Likewise. I mean, the field of nutrition, I mean, the, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call a spade a spade, the imprisonment of indigenous children in residential schools and actively starving them or bringing them to the brink of starvation, giving them barely what they need to survive, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of that also happened when we we knew what happened when you starve somebody or if they had a nutrient deficiency. And yet in the name of science and nutrition, a lot of those things were still carried out. Um, so there's, there's a lot to reckon with when that people don't think about, they don't realize that, you know, we got to this place as an industry by harming others. And there's no, there's no excuse for it, first of all, but also there's literally no argument like, oh, well, look at all the good it brought about. We learned so much. 
no, no, we could have learned this stuff without doing that kind of harm. And we also not only need to recognize that history, but recognize that, as you said, Michelle, it still plays a role today. It's there's still misinformation out there today. There's still, you know, actual harmful acts being committed today because of this misinformation. So. But if we segue over to eugenics, right? And I think that that's oftentimes a term that's thrown out. Um, folks might be most familiar with it in relation to World War II um, mm -hmm. and concentration camps and the Nazis. Yeah. Um, and it is, but it is actually goes on so much deeper and actually continues today. Um, so the the scientific uh, the, excuse me the definition of eugenics is the scientific and immoral theory of racial improvement and planned breeding okay um <laughs> eugenics worldwide believed that they could perfect human beings and eliminate so-called social ills through genetics and um hereditary so heredity <laughs> sorry <laughs> so and um there's a lot to unpack there. So this has played a huge role into the idea of racial mm -hmm. uh, superiority and or inferiority. It yeah. has led um, a huge role into ableism and yeah. how like disabled bodies are not worthy of respect. It plays a large role into um, the biases that we have about mm -hmm certain bodies, fat bodies, women's bodies, uh, people of color's bodies, um, and then how we interact with the humans that are living in those bodies um, and make rules and regulations against them. And who has the power because who is seen and viewed as being, um, essentially morally superior. Um, so this is what we see a lot in the fitness and nutrition industry um, with the idea of the ideal body. Yeah. And what is that ideal body that we have all had so ingrained into our minds of what we should all be, excuse me, frequently seeking that we should be striving for and if we can't get that there's something wrong with us yeah not because in nature it's actually a beautiful thing to have diversity amongst yeah. organic organisms yeah. right and it's important to have that diversity <laughs> as well for you know the survival of the entire species um, so yeah um you know and yes like different decades, we see different certain trends come and go, but mm -hmm. there is still like you right now, as a listener, you could close your eyes right now and pick when I say ideal body, mm -hmm. whether you're whatever gender you are, man, woman, non-conforming, non-binary, you can close your eyes and have an idea, a picture in your head of what you think because of what society has told you your body is supposed to look like in order to be a good body. Mm -hmm. 
And even for somebody like me who has worked very hard for the past however many years to unpack these internalized beliefs that I have, I still body checked this morning, 15 minutes ago. Yeah. I'm going on vacation in a week and I had my thought this morning. Oh shit. Like, Hmm. What are people going to, I haven't seen these people in this is a third season. So Mm -hmm. it's been two full years since I've seen them three years since I've seen them, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's so hard because it's so insidious and it just, it's everywhere. So if you are feeling that way, like you're not alone, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile work to be doing for yourself. And especially if you are in the fitness and nutrition industry to be unpacking these beliefs and really deconstructing yeah. the systems mm. that create this in the fitness and nutrition industry. And I will put a plug here for fitness for all bodies and their incredible courses. There is a summer cohort that's starting soon and a fall core cohort that is starting soon um, in the fall, obviously, but, um, for their, um, main course, deconstructing the fitness industrial complex, one of the most valuable courses you will ever take if you work in the body industry. Um, Mm. it's really life-changing to unpack these things for yourself and to really make a safer environment for your clients, because you are it, once you take this course, it doesn't mean all of your biases are going to go away but it does mean that you will start to recognize them and start to think about them and start to do better. Yeah, absolutely. And we can link that in the show notes, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. You know, it's like, we need to to recognize that like the ideal body shape, body proportions, all that, that is pushed by the diet industry, the fitness industry, all that it is proportions and a body shape that are of the white body. It does not allow for variation of non-white bodies. And if you are in those industries, you're pushing that ideal and you need to be able to, you know, take a course like this and recognize that that's what you're doing and then start to undo that, start to change your approach and recognize that you are doing harm by trying to push this particular ideal on other individuals who, Maybe they don't want that. Maybe that's not a a feasible ideal for them. And that you're also just perpetuating this one type of body good, all other bodies bad. Um, I actually, I had like an exchange with somebody on on social media a while back. um, So I said something about the diet industry being racist and they were like, how how is dieting racist? I'm like, well, as you said, okay, picture the ideal body what color is that person in your head? Right. Like, and, you know, recommend, um, recommended the book fear in the black body Mm -hmm. by Sabrina strings. Um, definitely read it. It really explains so, so well how we got to where we are and why we have this thin ideal. And it is a backlash to non-white bodies. Absolutely. I, I think this kind of also kind of pivots into informed consent a bit. And I know you touched on informed consent. Um, you know, first, I mean, first we should talk about like what informed <laughs> consent is, I think. Um, and that is you are given the opportunity to agree or disagree 
to participate in something, but you need to be informed of all possible outcomes and impacts, positive and negative. And very often, some of those are left out. It's typically the negative ones. Mm-hmm. And so how, how can you actually truly consent to something if you don't have a full understanding of all of the possible outcomes and impacts of that? And I think this kind of, the, the transition from our previous topic that we were just kind of talking about, right? Do you realize what you're consenting to? when you work with a trainer or a nutritionist or whatever, who's trying to push this ideal on you. Um, I think when it comes to like the diet industry, nobody is giving informed consent to a 1200 calorie diet because the industry works so actively to hide the fact that it's not enough food for an adult body and you are going to be doing harm to yourself by regularly participating in those types of diet behaviors. So as an industry, we have a history of not actually offering our clients the opportunity for informed consent. Um, and if you can't give informed consent, you don't have bodily autonomy. And I think <clears throat> this so often shows up. So I spend a lot of time um, I actually have to film some videos today. Um, I had programmed some exercises for a couple of clients, like I always do. Um, and a couple of them were like, these actually didn't feel really great for me. So mm-hmm. I am going to redo their program, but now we'll supplement with a different exercise. And I know for a fact that there are plenty of fitness coaches out there who would just be like, well, you just need to keep practicing. You're yeah. doing it wrong. You're, yeah. you know, when actually this, so this exercise is actually a bench supported pistol squat, which is single leg squat. Mm, Yeah. And this is a client who is strong. They are a runner and, um, they have really great lower body strength now. So when I put in the bench supported, um, single leg squats, I thought that that was enough scaffolding but it turned out it was just frustrating. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to take a step back and we're going to do some kickstand or B stance, single leg bench supported. We'll grow, develop more strength there. And then we'll take that kickstand away because what's the point of being frustrated right. and annoyed? Because what happens is, is you just won't do the exercise, right? But right. I know for a fact that there are coaches out there who'd be like, well, I already wrote your program. I'll, tr- I'll change it next month. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's not quality coaching in my opinion. So totally. totally. Um, and this is why you do oftentimes get what you pay for. However, I do know that there are shitty coaches out there who would be stubborn like that and charge you an arm and a leg. Yeah. Charge you an arm and a leg. So because they can, because they have the six pack abs and the huge biceps and the, you know, so you think that they know better. Um, yeah. but again, that also doesn't, that's a subject for another day, I guess, but yeah. Um, the same thing with, um, nutrition coaching oftentimes, and I'm, again, I'm not demonizing all weight loss coaches because I know that there are some who are able to help you manage with some fat loss. If that's a goal of yours. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think that there's something, as long as you can dig deep into why you want that weight loss this is a subject for another day again. (laughs) Different podcast episode. Sorry. It's just, (laughs) everything's so intertwined. It is. It is. But 
so often, even if it's not 1200 calories, if like you're feeling tired or you find yourself like you're still binging on the weekends or you find, and your coach isn't like, you know what, maybe this is too restrictive. Yeah. You are eating, you know, four bags of tortilla chips on the weekends. Maybe we program in for you so that you are eating tortilla chips every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And helping you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's like exposure therapy, right? Like when you find yourself restricting from a certain food item so much that when you then quote unquote, allow yourself access to it, you then are likely to have a binge. But if you are exposing yourself to that food item all the time, and it's like always around at some point, you are going to find that you're not quote unquote, overeating it or binging on it at some point. Cause it's always something that's available. Yeah. Um, and quite likely you're probably likely to be sick of it because you're eating it all the time. Yeah. So you gotta just take it off the pedestal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what's my point here? My point here is with informed consent and bodily autonomy is that when you are working with a coach, just because they tell you to do something doesn't mean that they know all and are be all. Yeah. You are actually, they might have their certificates and the nutrition science understanding and physio, you know, kinesiology understanding for fitness, right? But if something doesn't feel good for you and your body, you know your body best. Yeah. And if your coach is not listening and adapting and pivoting your programming and your coaching for you, then that's a huge red flag. Yeah. That's a huge red flag. And a coach is somebody, a trainer is somebody who should be there to guide you, not take the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, first of all, personal trainers and nutrition coaches cannot give you meal plans, especially to treat a, um, a disorder or an illness, or, you know, if like mm-hmm. they cannot give you a meal plan to treat diabetes or treat right. obesity. <laughs> so um, somebody who's giving you a meal plan, if they're not a registered dietitian, that's actually out of their scope of practice, but not only that giving you a meal plan and just saying, do this, not that well, it seems like, yes, please just tell me what I need to do. Please just tell me what to do is actually not helpful in the long run, which is why these six week programs are like not an ideal situation. You're likely to need coaching for longer than that. I think a six week course to kind of get you started with general knowledge of nutrition is fine. Um, But these like 21 day fixes, 30 day jumpstart, 30, whole 30, right? Mm -hmm. They're not teaching you how to actually create sustainable change. Because again, going into those red flags of the start and end date, a time bound program yep. is not meant to be forever. No. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just went on a little rambly rant there, but no, it's, this, this, this is rant. This is rant worthy. Um, Great I, rant. <laughs> I want to piggyback off of that though, because, you know, talking about what happens when a coach or whatever is not listening to you and your feedback about how a program feels. 
Um, and yes, maybe that makes you not want to do the program. Um, but, and I, I think I would consider this probably worst case scenario is that coach doesn't listen to your feedback about that program, not working or not feeling good for you. And they continue to push you and convince you that you're the problem, mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with your body. If this exercise doesn't feel good, or there's something wrong with you know, your commitment or whatever, if you're having trouble sticking to whatever plan that they've given you nutritionally. And when that starts to happen, right, we internalize that message. Like as a coach, you need to recognize the undertones of the things that you are saying to your clients. And when you are refusing to listen to them and saying, no, just do this, that is communicating you're the issue. And your client can internalize that and start to feel alienated from their own body and alienated from their own self. How the hell can you maintain your own bodily autonomy if you're feeling alienated from yourself and you're, you're, you know, shitting on your body and your abilities all the time? Um, I think that is a whole other dimension to what happens when you have these non-responsive coaches like that. And I mean, I think that it is important to note that um, there does have to be a trust factor with your coach that when they are designing a program for you, that they will listen to that kind of feedback. But also there does have to be a time when um, there is a level of challenge and there might be a level of discomfort that happens with some of the exercises or some of the habit changing that, especially if it's um, adding more food in. Mm-hmm. or lifting a heavier weight. Um, it has to happen on your time frame, <clears throat> but there also has to be a level of trust that your coach is going to work with you to do that in a way that is going to help you feel safe doing it. Mm. But also like if you only want to lift a 12 pound dumbbell for the rest of your life, I'm going to tell you that for most people, that is not enough weight to create any sort of the change that you are looking for in building muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, After about a month, you're going to need more than 12 pound weights. Like you just are. And because it's been ingrained in us that you want quote unquote, long lean muscles and, you know, just do a million reps with like two pound weights. That's not building bone and muscle mass, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not building bone and muscle mass in the way that we need, especially as we get older and, um, start to age and start to lose muscle mass, um, at rapid rates. So that was just another tangent. I do think that there is like, there is an art form here to your coach being in for coaches to be able to find, I think, our last two um, interviews we've done with both Nikki and with Noel, um, we were speaking with both of them, Marissa, mm. they both made reference to the beautiful shades of gray that yeah. we should be working in. And so I'm going to bring that up again. Um, and those episodes are coming up folks, but Spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that like, <clears throat> there has to be this, like, it's a, it's a, your coach and client, it's a relationship and it's a give and a take. Mm-hmm. where it's not just a do this, do that. It's a try this. How did that feel? 
how would you feel now trying this? Mm -hmm. Oh, that feels too much right now. Okay. Let's do that. You know, adapting and pivoting. And I think that that's really important. And this is where there, this creates that space and room for more autonomy and better consent to be given. Um, Yeah. So that's that. I'm done. Absolutely. I totally agree. I feel like as we're talking, like I keep thinking back to our red flags episode Mm -hmm. um, and talking about that trainer that one of my clients interacted with who kept pushing her to do this nutrition program we offer, do this nutrition program we offer in spite of her saying, I'm here just for the fitness classes and I'm doing my, my free one-off with the trainer. Like I'm, I'm not here to, to do anything more. Um, and then to resort to saying insulting things and, you know, and then offering unsolicited advice, right? Oh, you shouldn't be eating any more than 1300 calories a day. Um, that kind of behavior, huge violation of your autonomy and a huge violation of boundaries. Um, so I think that there, like a whole other dimension of, of that autonomy is like your goals should be your goals. Your coach shouldn't be telling you what your goals are or badgering you mm-hmm. to adopt certain goals or to do certain programs. And it can make you feel like you, you might think, well, I agreed to do this. So that was an autonomous decision on my part. But it's not an autonomous decision if you were badgered throughout an entire session for an upsell or to join whatever program. And I think we in the industry need to keep in mind that, yeah, like this is this is an industry. We make money doing this. And so depending on the environment that folks work in, you know, certain big box gyms, you've got a sales quota you have to meet and it can create this environment of feeling desperate to get more clients and sell, sell, sell. There is no excuse for badgering somebody to purchase what, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And if you are doing that and they finally give in just to shut you the hell up, you're also violating that person's boundaries and their autonomy. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing that I see that's, I think a huge problem in our industry is this, this push to sell, Um, you know, and there's, there's entire freaking courses about it, you know, how to sell without being salesy, how to charge this much money for your client. And it, it really, it's a problem it distracts from like what the whole point in going into this field is. Um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. I'm just mad now. <laughs> just well, I mean, mad. we do have to make a living. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> you know, but, but there's a whole lot to... of, yeah, there's a lot of um, like sales, car salesman tactics that can make you feel yeah. a little icky. And if somebody is, if anybody, whether you're buying a car or you're looking for a coach or trainer or a gym, if that makes you feel icky in any sort of way, um, then it's not a good fit for you. And it's okay for you to say no. Yeah. Right. Um, Because ultimately, wouldn't you rather pay more for a coach (laughs) that's going to actually be with you for the long run and actually 
um, help you adapt and get stronger if that's your goal and feel good and independent in your life um, and affirm you rather Mm -hmm. than making you feel like shit all the time. So if somebody's making you, even if the price is actually like quote unquote right or cheaper, if their sales tactic makes you feel shitty, think about what coaching with them is going to make you feel like if it makes you feel awkward and whatever, but do know that coaches and trainers do need to, are also making a living. So there is a conversation about money. And if the price is not a good fit for you, it's not a good fit for you. And they also shouldn't be pressuring you into working with them because of money. Yeah. If anybody says, just give up your daily Starbucks, tell them to go fuck themselves. Yes. Because that is not a good financial strategy. That's bullshit. Yeah. And it's also like very thinly veiled fat phobia too. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you do not have to skip your monthly manicure, your monthly massage or whatever. And I know all of these things are for also from a place of privilege to be doing that, but like, Mm -hmm. You do not have to give up on the things that you enjoy to then be able to add the service in, unless that's something that you want to do. Yeah. Right. So I have had folks who, um, have declined to work with me because, you know, the price was not a good fit for them at the time, but sometimes they come back later on. And then depending on their circumstances, I do have a compassion pricing availability for folks, um, especially for for folks from historically um, marginalized communities who need a little little support in getting access to high quality fitness and nutrition coaching. Because this is another piece um, is that not everybody in this country has equitable healthcare, has safe healthcare, or therefore also do not have safe and equitable spaces um, for fitness and nutrition. So in a, um, I try to make my resources accessible for everybody. Um, And then that means that when folks can pay the regular rates, that goes to helping subsidize the rates for folks who need support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to take this to a stickier, darker place. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think we have to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, going back to the topic of consent, um, Mm -hmm. when you are working with someone, particularly if it's a trainer or even a fitness instructor, you're, we're dealing with your body and there is a, an amount of proximity that can go along with that. You know, there's, you know, specific types of fitness clothing. Um, you know, some trainers like to take measurements and that kind of thing. And hands-on adjustments are also a thing, meaning the instructor or the trainer physically puts their hands on you to help you get into a better position for whatever movement that you're doing. Um, there has been this is, this is a power dynamic, right? This is Mm -hmm. one person is in a very vulnerable position. As we said before, you are trusting that person that you're working with to have good intentions and to want the best for you. 
Um, and unfortunately, there are instances where there are bad actors who violate that trust and take advantage of that power dynamic. Um, there has been, I don't know if folks are on TikTok or Instagram, but there is one trainer that is getting dragged right now because of the way he's been exploiting his female clients and inappropriately touching them. And as a fitness instructor, right, I can't, I'm not a trainer yet. I can't really speak to the one-on-one -on -one side of things, but you know, part of my training as a fitness instructor was recognizing when somebody in a class might need a little physical assistance in getting into a position, right? Maybe they don't realize like they're, they're arching their back in a plank or something like that, or they're twisting their hips or something. Um, you should always be asked if it's okay, if that person puts their hands on you, they should never just be putting their hands on you without asking for that. And they also shouldn't be using their body too close to you to help quote unquote help um, put you in a certain position. And this is, this is a huge pot, part of bodily autonomy, right? Consenting to having your body be physically handled by another individual. Um, I know my perspective, I make an announcement before class, letting them know that sometimes I do hands-on adjustments. And if anyone's not comfortable with that, they can let me know ahead of time. But I also, whenever I am going to do that, I turn off my microphone and I ask that person quietly, are they okay with me putting my hands on them? Um, if they say no, that's fine. You just back up. You don't say anything else. That's the end of the conversation. Okay. Here, try, try, look what I'm doing. Try to try to mimic what I'm doing. You don't have to touch somebody mm -hmm. regardless of what that instructor or that trainer might say, they do not have to put their hands on you. Um, so I, I will, oops, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, chime in, go for it. I almost never, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I do not like being touched. Same. And um, I almost, it is very, 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 very rare for me to feel like this person might need a kinesthetic sort of cue Yep. to go along with um, all the other <laughs> ways of cueing. Yeah. And um, I also do online coaching, which means that I can't actually touch you. And it's very right. effective, which means that you, your trainer does not, if that is their go-to, uh, it personal trainers also do not have a license to touch. Yeah, no. Full no. stop. So while I could go over and be like, you want to feel it here, like this, like rows and chin-ups are kind of like yeah, our, our muscles and our back. You can't see me right now, but I'm actually like <laughs> I'm motioning like the, the chin-up position. It's very hard for, even for myself to activate some of those muscles that are used in back exercises. Mm -hmm. So that's typically a place where I'll just come over with like a finger, one finger, like yeah, right here, squeeze right here or initiate the movement here. But I'm not going over and like rubbing your back mm -hmm. and like, we do not have a license to touch. No. Full fucking stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you cannot, if you are a trainer and you cannot cue without being handsy, then you need to work on your cueing and your communication skills. Yeah. There are so many other cues that you can do. 
Absolutely. Physical touch is like the cue of last resort. Mm -hmm. And yes, yeah, there are different types of learners and some people, yeah, tactile inputs helpful for them, but there are so many different ways you can say any given cue. You can demonstrate for them. You can break it down better. Um, and if you are going to, you know, say you do need to, as you were saying, like sometimes it is helpful to actually put poke a finger to the muscle to get the brain to activate that muscle. If you are going to put your hands on somebody, it is fingertips and it is a definite like on off. Like it is a yep. definite and you know, <laughs> and it is an ask, can yes. I touch you? Yes. And I will tell you this, that I also, um, in the past have trained my mom in person. Mm -hmm. And I also have some good friends that I also train and I still ask them yeah. when we are in that situation of, you know, trainer and client, mm -hmm. there is still the, can I touch you? And you know what, to be honest, most of the time I'm asking people <laughs> to like, can I hug you? Yeah. Um, or like at a party or something, right? Because not everybody likes that. And sometimes you get like, mm, like, yeah. So I, I think it's a good practice to just, you know, and some people think oh, yeah. that that's like, mm, you're so, that's oh. ridiculous. But I think it's important. And yeah. if you are somebody who has any history of trauma, yeah, it's really important for you to be finding a coach and trainer that is trauma informed. Yeah. There are many courses um, and books that trainers can take and read to make sure that they know how to respond. And this could be PTSD for any number of reasons. Like trauma could be so many things. Like, yeah. so yeah. <clears throat> being trauma informed as an instructor is an important, I think that's a really important yeah. um, skill, skill to have yeah. and to be knowledgeable Absolutely. about. Absolutely. You know, from the client perspective too, like listen to your gut, right? Even if you do say, yes, it's okay. If you put your hand on me to help me with this exercise, if it doesn't feel right, right. If they are lingering too long, if they're dragging their hand, if then they continue to touch, even though you only consented to that one instance, that doesn't mean you consented to that type of touch. That doesn't mean you can't be uncomfortable with it. If something doesn't feel right, go with your gut on that, tell them to stop. Um, or, you know, from now on don't, you know, or report it, right. If it's, if it's, you know, depending on the nature of it, right. Um, definitely just because you said yes to a tactile cue doesn't mean you consented to every nature mm -hmm. of tactile cue. And if you're not comfortable you are, you have every single right to express that discomfort. And yeah, like I said, there's, there's a very specific way you're supposed to give that kind of tactile input. And if you're not doing it that way, it's a problem. Yeah. You can always withdraw consent and this yes. goes for sexual encounters as well. Yes. Yeah. Just because you said yes to something doesn't mean that halfway through, you know, whatever sex you're having, doesn't mean you can't like change your mind. You're, you're in it. <laughs> Yeah. You also can withdraw consent. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of post. All right. So Roe v. Wade, feel your feels and then continue to take action. Yeah. Because posting on social, and I brought this up 
with um, the late, the last school shooting, right? Like, fine, like post on social media and bring awareness to how you're feeling, but that doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. Posting on social media doesn't actually fucking matter. So um, if you are angry and you are sad and you are scared by what this means for you, your family members, the future, you gotta take action. Yeah. You gotta call your folks in government. You gotta get out and protest if you're comfortable being out in crowds and doing that. You have to make noise. And most importantly, you have to have the conversations with relatives and family members who are like, eh, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time, just like with racist comments and homophobic comments and transphobic comments at like family dinners and shit, it's really fucking time to stop making assholes comfortable just to make yeah. them comfortable. Yeah. Like literally fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So it is time to be refuting when you see misinformation being posted on social media and it's okay to say it in a polite and kind way because yeah you know the beauty of this country is to have different opinions but you know what if your opinion is that abortion is not good for you then you can choose to not have an abortion you do not have a right to tell anybody else what to do with their body exactly exactly your opinion is your opinion you don't get to push it on someone else yeah Absolutely. I really like that. Stop making assholes comfortable. Like that's just a good fucking motto to live by. <laughs> like we're not preparation H like fucking stop. <laughs> that's going to be a sticker or a t-shirt. You're not preparation H. Stop making assholes comfortable. Like I literally. It. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. with that, um, as always, thank you so much for listening. No big asks this week. Um, Just thank you for being here. And if you are feeling a certain way about anything that we talked about, you know, please reach out. If you are on our website, you can always comment underneath the episode. Um, You can send us a message on Instagram and you can um, email us at strongandsimplepodcast at Mm gmail.com. And, you know, we are stronger together and we are stronger when we make our voices heard. And we, as women identifying folks since we were born, tend to feel like we always need to make people comfortable. Yeah. This is one of those quote unquote virtues that society wants us to have. And um, it's time to make people not comfortable anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. On that note, I'm done. Stick together, stay <laughs> strong, hang in there. We're gonna get through this together, and we're gonna we're gonna make some positive change. We're gonna fix this shit. Yeah. Thanks All for right. listening, folks. <laughs> and remember, on this Fourth of July weekend, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness—that's what's guaranteed to us in this country. Even though the founding found founding fathers were not taking into consideration most people in this country. Yep. As this country was not built on equality for everybody. No. But if we still want to hold dear life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, let's take a moment and think about what that means and what rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness are being stripped away. 100%. So as you're celebrating, 
the 4th of July. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. All right. Now I'm really done. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. This has been an episode of the Strong and Simple podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we've discussed or about any of our guests, please make sure that you visit us on Instagram at Strong and Simple Podcast. And if there's ever any topics, questions, concerns, anything that you would like to suggest to us, please feel free to email us at strongandsimplepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Michelle Farrell, Marissa Zabo, and their guests, and is not intended to be individualized advice or recommendations. Nothing in this episode is to be construed as medical advice or to substitute for individualized fitness or nutrition advice. Always consult with the appropriate professional for your own needs.